CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Bosch Software Innovations. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjog All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjog All. Hello, and uh, welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for this show as hashtag Predictive Analytics. Today's topic is how to make predictive analytics effective, and our guests for today's show are Eric Siegel. He's the founder of leading cross-vendor conference series, Predictive Analytics World, which takes place 10 times a year across industry verticals, including uh, PAW Government next month in uh, Washington, D.C., PAW Boston, and PAW Healthcare in October as well as Paul London and Berlin events this fall. Eric is also the author of best-selling Predictive Analytics, The Power to Predict, Who Will Click, Buy, Lie, or Die. Hello, Eric. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Sanjo. Nice. Uh, thanks for having me. Definitely. And I see with all the different events and the, the book writing and speaking, I'm sure you must be keeping crazy busy. Uh, there's been a lot of growth in the industry. And um, so, you know, over the last few years, playing this role with the conference production has been fun because it sort of puts us in a central position across industry, see how much is going on. It's really been growing uh, quickly, so it is a lot of fun. Great, great. And and we also have Jack Levis, who is the Senior Director of Process Management with UPS, and he's also giving a keynote address at the Predictive Analytics World Conference in Boston. Hi, Jack. How are you? Fantastic. How are you, Sanjuk? Very good, very good. Thank you uh, for joining us. And uh, in, in your world, where you come from, I'm sure uh, there are a lot of moving parts, and this predictive analytics must be playing a key role in the way you serve customers and the kind of experience you uh, deliver, right? Absolutely. You know, UPS, uh, you know, we say we love logistics, and it's really hard to be a, a, an incredible logistics provider without having analytics built into your processes. So, Analytics uh, plays a huge role everywhere at UPS. Definitely. Now, predictive analytics along with big data is the hot new term in which every company feels they have to be involved and uh, work to gather insights. But the ultimate question everyone has is how this will all lead to value. That comes down to uh, how well can predictive analytics not just predict, but uh, persuade decision makers and business leaders that all this data crunching will produce ROI. So today we wanted to explore just how to make this predictive analytics effective and what are the nuances to doing so. So Jack, I'll start with you. Uh, when you look at the different applications that may be very uh, natural for us to use predictive analytics for, and of course, uh, we, we, we could be like a kid in a candy store, which ones would you think, which areas, which applications uh, would you think be a good ones to go after where predictive analytics is applied and it will give us the most effective uh, results? Well, you know, I certainly love the topic because, as you said, the key is not uh, the methodology, the key is the uh, benefit, the ROI that an organization is going uh, to achieve. So the truth is, you know, people talk about big data all the time. I care much, much less about big data, but what I care about is big insight and big impact. 
I think you need to understand that analytics is about making better decisions. Um, so where I start is what are the big decisions we were going to make where analytics could have given us better information to make those decisions better? Because it's the decisions that matter. It's not the tool set. It's the decisions themselves, which then leads to the insight and the impact. So when you look at your world, um, Eric, and uh, see all the different people talking about predictive analytics and, and saying that we have tried a number of things, some have worked, some were less than stellar, and some were totally phenomenal in terms of the value that created. Do you see a pattern? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There, you know, in business, the main application areas are in marketing, uh, financial risk, kind of credit scoring, and fraud detection. And there's plenty of other applications on the web and across sectors, including government and healthcare, et cetera. But within business, those are the main areas. Those are where for most organizations, and I think Jack's story is a bit different at UPS about where their main operational decisions are, are, are driven um, with data. But for most organizations, it's those three, uh, marketing, um, risk, and fraud. Um, and those are the big decisions. So, you know, Jack, Jack likes to say that he – loves this topic and that that's what really excites him is how this technology is actionable where the value takes place not not just the core sort of rocket science technology of the analysis and how the analytics work uh i actually feel a little differently um i kind of feel like i have two personalities and there's one that gets very excited about that and i'm also a big fan separately from that of the core science that this let me just mention what how we define predictive analytics uh, what that core science is, it's to learn from data how to make predictions for each individual, and oftentimes it's the individual consumer or healthcare patient. Um, sometimes it could be an individual store or co- corporate client, this kind of thing, uh, in order to drive operational decisions. So it's very much part and parcel um, to the uh, definition that it must be value, valuable in terms of being action-oriented. So... Uh- Jack, when you look in this um, predictive analytics world, do you think that a company truly goes in an R&D or sandbox mode when they say, let's apply predictive analytics? Or would you say it all starts in a very planned, goal-oriented fashion? And that's what is the key to us getting some concrete value out of this endeavor. From my perspective, it's both. You, you need to start and have some kind of idea where you can make better decisions, all right? Um, because it has to become actionable, as you said, at some point. That being said, from my perspective, there's research here. You don't know what you don't know. Um, there's an exploratory period where you have to find out uh, what is possible. And then you have to look to what decisions you can impact. You know, you know um, I agree with Eric totally, and I love his concept of um, predictive analytics gets down to the individual, which is different than a forecast. I love that thought process. But if it's not actionable and you end up with some result where it just becomes a did you know with nothing you can do about it, then predictive analytics will turn just into trivia, which isn't what we want. So I do think there's an exploratory period. There's a period where you learn what you didn't know, and then you need to move from research to development with a plan on how to actually um, achieve gains. 
So, um, Eric, at the top, when you go and take this proposal to the folks at the top, do you think you can get away with saying we are going to have some exploratory phase and that is going to be sifted through to see which was, which specific areas we will dig further and then we'll be able to show you value. Please give us a million dollars up front. Huh. Uh, no, you don't get a million dollars for the exploratory. It's a lot cheaper than that. But there is a little exploratory. Certainly, there's some analysis before you can be entirely sure that it's worth pulling, pulling the full trigger. But all along in the entire process, you do have your eye on the goal. There's that carrot at the end of the stick, which is the actionability. How exactly are these predictions going to be used? Which operational decisions are they going to be driven, rendered mass scale decisions more effectively in those areas, such as I mentioned? Let me make those a little bit more concrete as far as the actionability. So in marketing, it would be targeting marketing. Who's it worth expending the cost of contact who's most likely to respond or make a purchase? Also in marketing, who's likely to leave, defect, attrite, quit, so that, that um, retention offer is going to be targeted? Who, who should we approve an application for a credit card? That's in terms of predicting credit risk. So if there's always an action or operational decision that's in mind. It, it can be really cool and nifty and neat to create a predictive model. But we don't do that just for the heck of it or just for the fun. There has to be the value. There has to be a particular way in which it's going to be used. So I like to say that within all the realm of big data, which could be any and all kind of analysis and ways of making use of data, that predictive analytics is by definition the most actionable, valuable form of analysis because all those millions of per-person decisions directly inform operational decisions on that level of detail. Jack, whenever we talk about crystal ball, uh, which is when we want to sit down and, and we are relaxing and saying, what if I knew what the future is going to hold and, and my life would be different and our business would be different? Are we trying to go that route in terms of uh, what we don't know and we're going to predict and we're going to bet our paycheck on it? Or is this going to be a small percentage of what we can uh, do by investing in a in a in a smaller fashion, and then see what the results are, and then kind of find our way through. Is it more navigating versus going for the kill? So let me um, let me take a step back, and you know, Eric mentioned that UPS is a little different than others. Uh, analytics yep. is generally understood as descriptive analytics. Where am I today? Then predictive analytics. Where am I headed? And as Eric says, down to the individual. And then prescriptive analytics is where you optimize. And UPS has gone through that path of descriptive to predictive to prescriptive analytics. So um, I don't know that we could have done the predictive stuff without having really cleaned up our descriptive models, get our, datas, get our data correct. Let me, let me tell you what happened when we moved from descriptive to predictive analytics. And this was in 2003. We already thought that we were the best in the industry. We've had 70 years of industrial engineering behind us, and we're known as the most, um, the most productive company in the world when it comes to efficiency. When we put our predictive models in place, we saw a reduction of 85 million miles driven a year. That's 8.5 million gallons of fuel that we're not purchasing just from using the predictive models and the associated methods and processes around it. So I don't know that I knew that when we started, that we would get that amount of gain. We knew it was an area where we could gain. Uh, 
but we did it a step at a time. And from 2003 to today, uh, 85 million miles reduced a year is pretty good. And by the way, there's more coming. So it's very encouraging based on, Jack, your response uh, and, and the example that you gave that now you can feel proud that you went this route and essentially uh, enjoyed the savings. It's very encouraging for the rest of the world. But would you say that this was just you got plain lucky and, and the fact that predictive analytics did have the power in the first place to produce results or there was some magic in the process in the way you carried out, a process of uh, the way you carried out predictive analytics, this whole process where people process technology all came together and made something happen? Well, it's interesting. Um, I, two of my divisions are advanced analytics divisions. I have quite a few PhDs and mathematicians that work in my group. Um, but look at my title. My title is Director of Process Management. That's because the analytics, the process, the procedures, the methods all have to be the same thing. So I, would, I don't think we got lucky. It was a lot of hard work, and we skinned our knees a lot along the way. The analytics did not just produce results day one. To be honest, it took a number of years before we started seeing those kind of results, before we saw the change management where our frontline people truly knew how to turn the dials and make the best out of the analytics. Um, now looking backwards, it's obvious. Um, from my perspective, these type of projects go to three major steps. The first one is proving the technology. That's where the research comes in. The second is building the technology inside of processes themselves. So the uh, systems, the support, the IT systems. The third and the hardest project of them all is implementing it and truly getting the gains. And we monitor that. We have new metrics, et cetera. So it was honestly a lot of hard work using analytics. And we really try to hide analytics. The front line doesn't even know they're using it. They're just doing their job. So, Eric, when you look at uh, the way the landscape is now, would you think that organizations, while they understand the term predictive analytics, but they have been able to build the maturity in their organization so that they, in a, in a, in a modeled fashion or in a, a predictable fashion, are able to skin their knees so that they're not just you know, uh, oozing blood all over, but still with no results, effective results? Uh, sure. I mean, there's, cer there's certain costs, there's certain things that... Uh, there are certain pitfalls. In general, uh, deployment deployment goes well, and there's direct ways to mitigate risk. Um, you know, and obviously the place where there'd be the biggest risk is when you go to that third phase that Jack just mentioned, which is implementing. Uh, another word for that is deployment. So you're deploying the predictive model. You've created this analytical model that was discovered from the data, learned from the data. That makes the predictions. So now you want to use those predictions. You want you want to improve the operational decision-making process so that it integrates the actual output of the model. So that those little predictive scores uh, actually make a difference. Um, that's deployment, pulling that in and making a change to the way operations and business as usual is conducted. And at that phase there could be risk. What if the models are predicting poorly? What if there's some other unanticipated consequence? Uh, you know, what if we make this mass scale change by integrating the predictive, the predictive scores, the output of the models, uh, and something goes wrong? Well, the fact is that, that risk can be directly um, mitigated and actually controlled like turning a knob simply by 
um, controlling the degree to which you implement or deploy. So you can start with an in- incremental step. You can say, we're going to use this 10% of the time, and the other 90% we're going to continue in the legacy ma- manner so that you can sort of do this head-to-head test and slowly increase the extent to which you're relying on the models. So risk is something that can be directly uh, mitigated. Let's take a quick break, listeners. When we when we come back, let's talk about the people side. So we did talk a little bit about the process, the way you carry it out, and then um, Eric had suggestion regarding just doing some sort of an A/B testing, where 10% of the time you apply predictive uh, analytics and see how uh, that bears results versus the regular fashion, the way you carry out. And and so all of that while being done. Uh, what mindset and the type of people who need to be by your side for this to actually be a great journey to begin with. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So uh, we were to talk about the skills and mindsets necessary to make data predictive and deriving insights that would actually create value, and that is the people side. But before we get into it, uh, Jack, I'd like to get your perspective on that approach where you can put um, 10% based on what Eric said, like a 10% of the time when you run a process, you apply predictive analytics. It's like an A-B testing that you do in marketing. And perhaps in that area, you could do it. But what happens in your space? Can you literally slice off your uh, same process and say, I'm going to apply predictive analytics on a portion of it? So I, I think what Eric says makes perfect sense. Unfortunately for UPS, that's much harder to do. I can't create a driver's route that says, 10% of it is using a predictive model, and 90% of your route is um, using traditional methods. However, that being said, um, as we move down our path of analytics, uh, there's a point in time where we say we'll use the analytics as an assistant. 
So the human's still in the loop. The analytics may say, here's what I suggest, but we allow the humans to still override it because there's things that they know, often subjective things that we allow the planner um, to override. And as we move further and further and further, we measure what percent is overridden and what percent are they using the analytics by themselves. And then we look to constantly update our analytics to improve it. So, Eric, coming to the people side, what have you seen the world doing? Uh, do they kind of take the same people and perhaps add a, a few PhDs who can do real math, but then whatever results that they create, they have the regular folks, uh, the people who had been already having the business knowledge and experience, do the interpretation of that, and that's what brings out the real predictive analytics, which is usable? But that's a great question. And the way in which a, an organization... Uh, will go about uh, with their first implementation. So we're assuming here this is sort of first endeavors. Um, the models vary greatly, and it really depends on the uh, organization and the, uh, the particular application, whether it's marketing or other kind of operations, like in the case of UPS. Uh, and, you know, the scale, is this going to be a numerous uh, endeavors across the organization? So to take it to one extreme, if you're doing a direct mail campaign, and that's a central part of at least a business unit, and it's periodic, improving the targeting with a predictive model does not require a few PhDs. It probably does not even require one PhD. It probably requires um, a staff member who has experience with predictive analytics initiatives, and then the core modeling component, the actual analytics for your, where you're taking the data and learning from it, uh, using predictive analytics tools, uh, that's actually a very small part of the uh, hands-on hours of the overall project when you consider, for example, deployment and integration. Um, but that's often something that, that's outsourced. Um, uh, so that's taking it to one extreme. On the other extreme, if you've got a large enterprise and a lot, you do want to be building a team, and there's a great uh, demand. It's good to start early in terms of that um, search for the right employees. So, Jack, when you look at the way you uh, – you did mention that you have a, a, a number of uh, PhDs and folks with maths. What is the mix overall of that team which eventually churns out the right type of analytics which is usable? So, Besides again, those people. Um, I fully agree with Eric on things like, uh, you know, marketing plans, you know, who to, um, you know, send marketing campaigns to. For us, we need to make our analytics truly actionable inside of a process. So on an analytics team, generally, um, I've got a mix of skill sets. Usually there's the um, analyst, uh, more often than not a PhD. On the team itself um, is also a software engineer who can take the math and, you know, build a prototype or, um, you know, make it work faster and, and more robust. But I also put business people on the team. So an industrial engineer who, who can help engineer the process as well as, you know, a, a skilled frontline person who can explain the business process. So the team is really cross-functional from that perspective, um, trying to make sure that the analytics not only makes sense mathematically, but also makes sense operationally. If you were to take uh, the people side, and if that is fully cooked, that means you've put in the right type of folks. Do you think their learning 
has to change continually in order for you to grow progressively in this direction. So, Jack, if you had to build a team and you put some people in place, do you think this whole area is morphing so that they have to learn beyond what they already knew uh, for them to be effective on a regular basis? From, from the success of my group, absolutely. Yes. Um, I could tell you that if you sat in a meeting with my folks, I think you'd have a hard time initially find, uh, figuring out who's the Ph.D. in the team, who's the uh, business person, because they all start talking the same language. Um, you know, it's almost like being a test pilot. You know, you know, they're listening for all the little problems that are going on, and each one of them uh, will, will increase their skill set. So the business pe- person starts talking about operations research, and the operations researcher starts talking about business problems. So um, they truly become a business team, just with complementary skills to get the analytics built. Eric, have you seen uh, people having specific needs of the type of uh, education that needs to be imparted or the training that they have to go through? And do you think that training itself is morphing, that what you are learning about in order to be effective with predictive analytics, that that learning has to morph to something new and different? Or the core, core fundamentals are going to be the same all along? Both. I mean, the core fundamentals are pretty, pretty static, uh, but there's so much else that where there's continuous learning around uh, best practices in the industry and to some degree in terms of the core technology and what the existing tools are that, uh, you know, software tools that embody that core methodology. But, you know, when you're coming in new and you're looking at, at this whole new area, uh, you know, I think the focus should be on that initial ramp up. Uh, it's, in the longer run, once you're in, in it, uh, it's not, I wouldn't consider it burdensome or overwhelming, the fact that there's continuous education. I see that as something that emerges organically. Um, it's, there's a natural inclination towards it because it's always directly tied to that value-oriented actionability and how you're deploying and, and how, how you're pulling the data together in the first place to make the best model possible. So it all has to do with the value, and there's always an excitement around it um, I wouldn't say that it's uh, financially burdensome. It's sort of a natural part of any career path, but certainly there's a continuous evolution. As far as the initial education that's required, that's actually um, quite uh, – that varies a lot. People come into this field of predictive analytics from all kinds of disciplines, um, oftentimes quantitative as far as the hands-on practitioners themselves, um, sometimes Ph.D., but there's a whole bunch of different routes. Anyone out there, if you'd like to email me, I have an informal, long email I can, forward, I can reply to you with a long list of all the articles I've seen about what kind of education you need to become a practitioner in predictive analytics. So I, I think, Sanjog, there's um, another part of the education, um, at least for us, especially as we start to deploy prescriptive models, you know, optimizations, and that's the front line because those now become the decision makers, and we've found that we've had to educate that front line as well. And the education is over and over and over again. Uh, you know, a, a model may have a lot of dials that need to be turned, and for us, deploying to 55,000 drivers means really uh, one model that can handle 55,000 different situations. And we have to educate the front line planner uh, in how to twist the dials to make a result of an optimization, for instance, actually implementable. You know, it's one thing to have a result that's feasible, meaning it works mathematically, 
it's different to have a result that is um, implementable. And that's where some of that tweaking of the dials and the education of the front line uh, is important. Jack, what would you say about the persuasiveness of any analytics-related findings? If it's not persuasive, but it is um, you know, factual, do, do you think we are still in that mode where anything that we find out, it has to be run by the top brass, and if they give the blessing, only then we will get the dollars, and then we will be able to implement? Are we still in that kind of constant uh, blessing-seeking mode, or do you think... Uh, that's that's a non-issue. Well, you, you know, businesses still need to have prioritization. And uh, for us, we have a very well-defined project uh, prioritization and, and um, you know, choosing process. So we, we, we can't just go and, and, as you said, get a million dollars and just run. Uh, uh, C-level executives, uh, you know, you're not selling to them like you would sell to a consumer. You know, analytics is not a pet rock. So you come in and you say, here's an analytics project. Here are some benefits that we think we're going to get. Uh, you know, the next six months we will, um, you know, evaluate it and come back to you with those results. And, and um, I found them to be extremely, um, uh, you know, open to this concept. And not just the UPS. I talked to lots of companies, and everybody is trying to get gains from their data. Everybody's trying to turn their data into information and then knowledge. Um, but they're all struggling with how do I know it's going to work? And I think that you've got, you know, uh, a risk. If you promise internally that analytics is going to work and produce gains and two years later you have nothing, uh, the C-level suite will say, well, the analytics didn't work. So you really have to shepherd it through a process. You have to ensure that gains are achieved. And then, you know, they love it. Once they see some, the next question is where else can we, uh, um, you know, apply analytics to our business? So. It turns out to be a very positive experience when you've gotten some ROI behind it. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back and then look at further on what is the way an organization needs to make a business case. So, yes, uh, the, the top brass doesn't look at it like this, and perhaps they have the faith in the leaders who have been given the responsibility to run predictive analytics, but at the same time, there has to be some accountability and some visibility into what's going on. So as you go about this rather fuzzy journey once in a while, where we do not know what's going to come out, but we still have to keep investing, how do you keep everyone in the loop? How do you make sure that the journey that we are going on, everybody is on board and there are no unnecessary stumbling blocks? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment 
by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, uh, Eric, when you look at the different organizations, the way the analytics leaders, the ones who have been given the responsibility to run predictive analytics and make it valuable, what is the communication approach between them, the business unit leaders, the, the executive management and the people below so that everybody is in the know, everybody is even learning about what's working, what's not working so that it is uh, basically, we learn from the collective intelligence and collective feedback. Yeah, um, that's a great question. You know, there there does need to be a lot of communication. It needs to be quite iterative. There's an industry standard best practice uh, uh, model that in, that in, includes that part and parcel to it. That it's that there's in, uh, really iterative meetings across different uh, business functions, and in that. You know, the biggest component of explaining it and keeping everybody's eye on the value is not with regard is not with regard to that core analytical technology, but rather is with regard to the business case, with regard to uh, you know the message that made this persuadable in the first place, um, where the value comes, um, and it's it's not rocket science to understand that. It's simply a matter of what exactly decision are we improving with predictions. So for example, should I send a brochure to this person or not? Should I approve this application for credit? And, and, uh, and then exactly what's being predicted, you know, are they going to make a purchase? Whatever the prediction is that's driving that decision. So you put those two pieces together and the rest of the details fall out from that with regard to, well, what data do we need to analyze to, to make that predictive model? Um, and which operations need to integrate the, the predictive scores. So one is the owner. So, Jack, this is a question for you. One is the owner of, uh, or, of this predictive analytics project or initiative. And uh, then there are sponsors. So how do you uh, make sure that the owners uh, are identified so that they have enough not just uh, the authority, but also the empowerment that they are able to uh, go through this. And then the sponsors, they are also uh, basically, while then they are sponsoring, they also are able to somehow tie it back to the value that they are creating. Because at the same, same, at all times, everyone should be accountable and answerable to the people who they serve. Perfect. In this predictive analysis. Because this is a lot of fuzziness, right? In, in this, what will happen? How will we go about, et cetera? Sure, and, and you know, there's research involved often um, here. Um, I'm fortunate that for me, I'm the uh, I have the analytics teams that report to me, but I'm also the owner and the sponsor. So uh, when I take a project, I'm end to end. Again, my job is process management. Um, 
However, there's often projects we'll do where maybe there's another sponsor. I'm working for another group. And um, I found that one of the important areas is education of the sponsors. I think it's, it's important that the sponsors know what analytics can do, but it's also important to know what it can't do. Uh, you know, if they think there's going to be magic coming out of something, um, you know, th- that's not going to be helpful as they go thinking what can be produced. I really believe that uh, forums like Predictive Analytics World um, isn't just for the geeks. It's for those business owners. They can come in, take a look, and find out what other people are doing. They can find out what analytics has done. And I think that helps them in their own job, their own education. So we spend time, um, you know, educating our people, whether it's Predictive Analytics World or the Institute for Operations Research and Management Science informs. We spend a lot of time there. And I think it's helpful for those business people to understand the environment of analytics so that they can point out places where they can actually use it to get gains in, in their own operations. Eric, do you think um, when you do start or at least even work towards uh, engaging in this predictive analytics, there is some there are some pitfalls starting from who becomes the sponsor and who becomes the owner? Um, you know, I think the biggest pitfalls is when there may be a lack of clarity on what that value is, exactly how this model is going to be integrated and deployed. Um, so, you know, that that's really the leading pitfall that, that potentially comes up. If there hasn't really been agreement and buy-in, full understanding across the right um, uh, people, and including internal clients. Uh, that, hey, not only are we going to make this model that learns from data, but once we have it, the predictions are now going to actually directly uh, in, uh, affect these current operations. So that is these operations, the way you're doing it today, that is going to change. And there has to be buy-in from that, that you don't want that to stall out later when you're actually starting to go to the deployment phase. See, I couldn't agree more. I think that change management if analytics is about making better decisions, which means you want to change things you're doing today. Uh, descriptive analytics, honestly, is relatively straightforward because once you have the insight, um, the descriptive analytics can help you without changing a process to just make some better decisions looking forward. But it's limited because it's always looking at yesterday. When you get to prediction and prescription, you're looking at tomorrow and you're truly making change. And if you don't understand that change management is part of the process. You're asking people to change how they do things. Um, you have to build that in. That requires support from the top. That requires education. That requires new metrics, by the way. We, we deploy new metrics every time we do an analytics tool um, that are more leading indicator metrics so that you get the change happening in the organization. And to me, that's fun. When you hear conversations change, uh, when people start talking about different things than they did yesterday because now they have the insight, you know that you're starting to gain momentum and that analytics is not a flavor of the month. Jack, have you ever been challenged by the people around you in the way you are approaching it? Because you don't have the results. You don't have a, uh, a way to do a rebuttal. But you just request them, hey, could you hold your patience and have faith in me? Is that what's the best you could do at that time? Or you have a way to explain that uh, they, they, they don't create that challenge for you? Well, that's a tough question. Um, and it's especially tough, tough because we've had such successes. But there is a period of time 
when you're going through analytics and you're doing discovery, that sponsors or C-level folks may become impatient. And it's at that point in time, I'm careful not to promise a date. You know, if you were doing medical research, you couldn't say the research will be done on a date. So I'm very careful to make sure that senior leaders understand. Um, we made presentations to our C-suite to explain how analytics works so they could understand there's a point in time of discovery, then there's a point of time of implementation. Uh, we build prototypes. Um, and we'll use the prototypes to help make sure that we understand how to get gains, that we understand what the new metrics should be, we understand how to educate people. Um, and it's in that period of time that um, you truly find out whether you have something that's implementable, um, where true gains can be gotten or not. Um, I can tell you that um, we've been doing analytics so long, it's really hard to separate it from our business processes. Um, you know, we have a new analytics project that we're deploying right now that has 700 full-time resources. Um, and and that, shows the, um, that shows the support that our C-suite has for the analytics inside of UPS. Eric, if you were to look across the industry, the spectrum, do you think you find um, either skepticism, which drives better results, or wholehearted sponsorship, which drives better results? What, what top-level sponsorship and faith has given better results? Because sometimes when somebody is che somebody's checked, people don't do what you expect, people do what you inspect, right? I mean, that's what, that's what the conventional saying is. So would a, a healthy skeptic top leadership and business unit leaders would bring better results out of these uh, initiatives? Um, that's, a, that's a great way of framing the question, sponsorship versus skepticism. You know, I think there should be skepticism to s disguise the sponsorship. That is on the surface that has to err on the side of sponsorship when we're talking about uh, deploying something new. Um, it also turns out that uh, just culturally, uh, and I feel quite confident about this, Within the field of predictive analytics, the enthusiasm about using data in this way, about the core technology and how it actually then ends up being so valuable in where the rubber hits the road in, in frontline deployment, the enthusiasm uh, is so high that you don't need to light a fire in these new initiatives and with, with, with negative skepticism. There does have to be sponsorship. You do have to get things going if it's your first time. By the way, I'd also like to make a comment following up on what we were talking about recently about what needs to be communicated and shared and mutually understood along the lines of this stuff not being magic. So how do you, how do you, how do you resolve the idea that it's not magic with the idea that it's predictive? Because prediction sounds like something magical. Uh, the, the answer is that you don't actually need to predict accurately. In most cases, it's about predicting better than guessing and tipping the odds in the mass scale numbers game. So that's sort of the real concrete way. So, for example, if I find people that are three times more likely than average to make a purchase if marketed to, there's still maybe a low percent that are actually responsive. So it's not about accurate prediction, but again, we've tipped the odds and that has a huge impact on the bottom line. Jack, when you look at your organization, and of course you must be talking to your uh, peers in other companies, do you see a, a thread, a common thread across the board which has led them to relatively more predictable success versus uh, turbulence? 
Well, I think culture is probably the top thing that will lead to success versus the turbulence. You know, we have a, a culture of advanced analytics at UPS. I mean, going back to the 1940s of using quantitative analysis, um, I think that's the top thing um, is getting the culture there. Usually when I talk to an organization and they ask for advice as to how to get started, and these range in all sorts of different disciplines, you know, from government to small companies, um, that's usually the first question is where are you on that culture scale? Where are you on support from the top and the buy-in? Because without the buy-in, um, you know, the analytics is just going to sit on the shelf. So I, find, I really find that to be the number one area for truly getting the buy-in and going, as you say, from turbulence um, to results. Let's take a quick break, listeners. When we come back, Eric, let's talk about the, the percentage of blue sky type of predictive analytics efforts that we should have in our portfolio as an organization versus something which is more strict, measurable, and goal-oriented, which will eventually help us uh, get through the initial skepticism and very well on our way to uh, ingraining the, the predictive analytics into our organization's DNA. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to HP.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Eric, uh, how about looking at a mix? And I'm not sure if, if that is 100% accurate science, but a good split between the blue sky type of predictive analytics initiatives versus very strict goal-oriented. What mix have you seen people deploying for them to eventually get to a stable state where predictive analytics actually starts becoming effective? Uh, that, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I would say that... Uh, all predictive analytics initiatives need to be defined in terms of being actionable, in terms of their results eventually being measurable. Um, but blue, so blue sky, you know, we could think of that in terms of, 
you know, what's an absolutely new thing no other organization has ever done? So I mentioned earlier those application areas that are, that are the more well-trodden, common areas for businesses, uh, marketing, credit risk, and uh, fraud detection. In some cases, web optimization, certain things uh, based on prediction. Um, and that's oftentimes really the best place to start. Um, but it depends on the organization. So you can imagine how widely applicable and broad this area is. There's so many ways to use predictive analytics. That is to say, there's so many things that could be predicted about consumer behavior um, and so many operations that could be improved with those predictions. Um, so when you stick within sort of the more standard realm, you know, you see more track record at uh, other enterprises in the, in the industry. Uh, you see the process more well-defined because it's been done so much. So in a sense, there's less risk there. But depending on your organization, there may be other areas. I think UPS is a perfect example, of course, where there's all kinds of operations that are unique to that organization. And so there's unique application areas, new, uh, unique opportunities for predictive analytics. Um, so typically, maybe it's only 10 or 20 percent where it's sort of that innovative new ways of using it. But for, mo uh, for, for some organizations like UPS, it's probably a lot different than that. Jack, you have any, any uh, flavor of the percentage split? Um, I really don't because, um, you know, we, we keep a mix of long-term projects that are truly game changers, medium-term and short-term, um, and we try to keep those in the hopper at, 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 at all the time. And if one gets done, you know, hopefully we look for the next big game changer. So um, I really can't tell you the split. Uh, I can tell you that, to me, research has shown that uh, a, really a small number of organizations are really doing the predictive analytics or the prescriptive analytics, um, even, even less for prescriptive. So I think those organizations just need to get started, get some wins under your belt. I think Eric hit it on the nose that as you get your first win and the next one starts coming and the next one, it, it becomes repeatable, um, and then you'll hit your own level. Um, uh, you know, there's different maturity of organizations in the use of analytics, um, I think organizations should assess themselves. You know, the, uh, INFORMS, the Institute of Operations Research and Management Science, has an analytics maturity model. I think it would help organizations to take a little survey, find out where they sit, and see if they get some ideas on how to move through that ladder of descriptive, predictive, prescriptive analytics. Eric, when you look at the, the type of education that's been imparted formally, maybe within an organization to, uh, to the people who are doing this job, do you think that internal training is good enough? Or would you say even the leaders themselves who want to lead this effort to get best success, what avenues are available for them to be able to get educated and get up to speed and stay up to speed uh, with respect to how predictive analytics is changing? Well, um, Predictive Analytics World, the conference series uh, that, I, that I founded, uh, we've got 10 events a year. It's very much formed to help that incremental education continue and also for newcomers. You know, as Jack mentioned earlier, uh, events like that are not just for geeks, and we actually have with the, in the conference program two tracks. Uh, one for all audiences, managers, decision makers, newcomers, <clears throat> and another track for the expert practitioners. Um, and these events also have before and after single, uh, a variety of single-day training workshops. Um, more broadly, though, if you're coming in brand new to the field and you want to get a, a, 
uh, a more holistic education. There's a huge number of new certificate and master's degree programs in predictive analytics cropping up across in, uh, all kinds of universities. Some of them serve as sponsors. You can see them uh, on the Predictive Analytics World website. Um, they're sponsors for our events. Um, you can find a complete list of these certificate programs on the KD Nuggets, KD Nuggets uh, uh, data mining industry portal. So, Jack, have you seen when you have your team and your business leaders, where would you recommend them going? Of course, you'd send them to Eric's conference series. But besides that, would you would you say that uh, in order to be proactive in terms of developing the skill set of all people from top to bottom, what and would you invest in? So, again, um, I invest in predictive analytics world. I, I, I say it one more time. It's not just for the, the heavy analysts. Um, but also, the, as I mentioned, the Institute for Operations Research and Management Science. Join an association uh, like Informs. Talk to people that are like-minded. Learn what analytics can do and what it can't do. If you're looking for a team, you know, Informs has a certification. Go test your analytics folks. See if they're um, really just good at writing queries or if they really know how to do the predictive work. So I, I can't say enough about sending your folks to conferences, sending them to network getting them educated, I think that changes the culture inside your organization. And as I said, I thought that was um, the number one thing. Uh, I know that Eric's got a conference coming up. You know, it's, it's not far away, and I think it's going to be very worthwhile. Coming to leadership, um, Jack, when you look at everything else, I think success or failure to quite an extent falls on the shoulder of the leaders, whether they are the people who are driving predictive analytics or the ones who are supporting and sponsoring. What kind of leadership have to be, has to be demonstrated by an organization's leaders in whichever capacity they are in order for this predictive analytics-related endeavors to be effective? So um, I think you have to understand that analytics is a journey. Um, and that's going to require support from the top. It's going to require guidance. Um, it's going, you're going to need to make analytics part of your culture. Everything, analytics, the processes, the procedures, the methods, all become the same thing. You bring on the right people, and as we said, send them to the right conferences. You need to relook at your metrics. If your metrics are all the same old lagging indicators, um, then you're not going to make a change. Uh, we've changed metrics to be more leading indicators, and those leading indicators will then change conversations and make people um, you know, be more analytical in their thinking. Um, and, and most important, understand that change management is needed and understand there's going to be chaos along the way. Um, I've got two quotes on my wall, and especially as we're working on some of these big analytics projects, one um, talks about chaos. It says that's where great dreams are born. And before the beginning of great brilliance, there must be chaos. Before a brilliant person begins something great, they must look foolish to the crowd, which goes into the second quote, which is about three stages of truth, or I call it three stages of, of projects. The first is ridicule. The second is violent opposition. And the third is acceptance as if self-evident. And leaders need to allow their people to go through those stages to get to um, acceptance as if self-evident. Eric, any final words of advice where, uh, based on all the different leaders that you see and the respective organizations, the way they're showing success, 
would you would you appeal to the other leaders who are getting started in the journey or maybe in the midst of it to do something new, different, or better in order for this predictive analytics to be successful and effective? You know, I thought that what Jack, the way Jack put all that was was remarkably well put. Um, you know, within a within a, 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 a finite scope uh, application area project such as uh, targeting marketing, you know. At this point, it's becoming more and more clockwork over across enterprises. The industry is starting to really understand how these things work. But when you start looking at a unique enterprise like UPS and or for any large, organiz- any large organization, sort of all the different cross-intra-organizational uh, deployments, that's where there's a tremendous amount of uh, creativity needed. There needs to be a real meeting of the minds between experts in predictive analytics and, and, and uh, groundbreaking deployments of it, as well as the on-site uh, C-level and, and VP level uh, that really understand the organization as a whole. And these two minds need to come together, and that takes a, a fair amount of exploration. But when you, when you get that union, uh, that synergy between these two areas, that's where the enterprise really evolves. You know, um, everybody talks about going from data to information to knowledge, but I think that's short-sighted. I think after knowledge is wisdom, and that's when you're using models to tell you how to operate, um, and that makes a new person as wise as someone who's been there a long time. But even after that, I think there's clairvoyance. I think when models and data is smart enough, the transaction by transaction, we're predicting that a problem is going to happen, and solve it before somebody knows something's wrong, will look clairvoyant. And that's truly when we'll start seeing huge, huge gains beyond what we can envision today. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, both Eric and Jack, for sharing your thoughts on how to make an organization uh, get the most value out of predictive analytics and, and making predictive analytics effective. Thanks, Sanjog. Thank you, Sanjog. Thank you so much again. And uh, listeners, please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you so much again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Bosch Software Innovations.